Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. The Human Technology Podcast is back after the small Christmas break that I had. And as promised, the first episode of the new year is on the CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, that was conducted in Las Vegas in the first week of January this year. And I will talk a bit about my impressions, my views that I have, a couple of things that I saw, a bit of what made me thinking, and yeah, what, what happens there and, and what's going on. It's a small remark up front. Uh, you may hear that I brought me a little souvenir from the US, which is a cold that you can maybe hear. I hope that I will get it done in this in the next 30, 40 minutes, as long as I will talk here without too much coughing, too much drinking, too much um, of anything that may annoy you. But um, it, it is a regular cold, nothing um, with a big C in, uh, uh, with the big Corona thing. But um, yeah, it is still keeping me a bit busy. So please excuse me if it sounds a bit different to today. Anyway, let's get back to Las Vegas, to Sin City and Nevada. The CES is back. In 2021, two years ago, the, it was a digital-only event. Last year, in 2022, it was a strange, a super strange event, totally different than any other CES I had ever been to. A lot of empty spaces, empty rooms there, very low number of people. And this year, it is almost back to pre-pandemic formats, conditions. More than 3,000 exhibitors. The halls were more or less completely full. Particularly the automotive hall was booked already in August, was completely booked in, in August. An overall of uh, 117,000 visitors, which is a little lower than the pre-pandemic 170,000 we had, but uh, we're on the way back. Last year it was just 40,000. You can see the dimensions of this event, but um, yeah, it seems like, like we are getting back to this. And sometimes I had a feeling it is a bit of a revenge event so we are back we can be here again and we party again in some parts it was business as usual but in some parts i had the feeling that that many of the people there were super happy that uh, the show returns and uh, will go back to 
its old format and its old size in a foreseeable time frame. What I'd like to talk about today are basically three things. I have a focus in automotive. I have a focus in automotive HMI, human machine interfaces. This is where I will focus on. I will talk about the trends that I see, the generic trends. Then I will run through a couple of interesting vehicles and technologies that I have seen. And the third part will be a bit of the non-automotive stuff. I mean, the CES was originally a consumer electronics show with uh, record players and uh, uh, vinyl discs and uh, home speakers, home entertainment. That That is the core of uh, the CES, the original genome. The automotive part came later but is an essential part today, which shows the new role cars play. But there's still a lot, roughly two-thirds, three-quarters of the entire show is still on non-automotive things. Let's start with the trends. I'm talking a lot about the case mantra or the case paradigm. Case stands for connected automated, shared, and electric. My biggest takeaway from the show is this mantra, this paradigm is still alive. It still exists. I mean, it's out there since almost 10 years now. We are seeing um, yeah, little shift in between the priorities of the single components but the, the paradigm itself still very well describes the activities and the future of the automotive industry. Let's start with Connected. For me, Connected, uh, this is the uh, one of the trends that I took away. The, the Connected part is offering the largest opportunities, the biggest chances for differentiation and for innovation. We are living in a more and more connected world. Parts are components of the internet. They are rolling internet knobs, um, uh, uh, buttons, uh, internet, uh, yeah, inter parts of the internet, rolling parts of the internet. And so, um, yeah, this is, this is uh, um, the opportunity. This gives us the opportunity to, to move on, to different shape between brands. What is a car doing? How is a car doing things? What are the features in a vehicle? How can I connect it to the rest of my life? This will differentiate brands, car brands, models, and it has a lot of room for, for innovation. Second part, the A for automated. The fight between LIDAR and RADAR is still open. LIDAR, the light-based technology for sensing, for sensing environments, has a couple of specific advantages and disadvantages, and so is having radar. Uh, there are other sensors like ultrasonic, like cameras out there. From my point of view, the trend here is sensor fusion. None of these sensors alone will make it, but if we want to go to automated driving, if we want to go to autonomous, fully automated driving, 
The car needs to know what is around it, what, what, what is happening in the environment. For that, we will need sensors. My view is, and my takeaway, it will not be a single technology, but a combination of technologies. And the big fight is going on which technologies and how to combine them in which way. The exciting thing or one thing that really astonished me is that there are more off-the-shelf products in autonomous driving, meaning a sensor, set of sensors, uh, plus a computer, plus a software, and um, the OEMs can select from that. They can just buy it, the entire technology, and integrate that into, into their vehicles. One company, uh, one company representative uh, told me, yes, uh, they are level four ready with what they have. I'm a little doubtful that this is really true. But at the end, if this is reality, if, if they can do it, if they can only do it on level two, mean, meaning um, yeah, I'm, I'm a well-automated level of uh, automation, then um, it is a good thing. To particularly smaller OEMs, they will not have the chance to develop their own technology. And if they have a supplier that believes a well-tuned set, a well-tuned solution, then this may move automation to a new level. Shared. Shared mobility. Some companies showed people movers. I will get back to people movers a little later. Um, these are these boxes on wheels with a little bench in it that are fully autonomous means of public transportation. And you can get into this like on a bus and they will drive you around and they will drop you. So these, these are people movers and there were a few um, displays. But beyond that, there was not too much about the shared part of it. I see basically two reasons for this. One is that the business models still do not function. I mean, whether you talk about car sharing, whether you talk about ride sharing, whether you talk about whatever, many of these things just don't make any money. So this is this may be one of the reasons. The other one is that individual mobility is higher ranked in the USA than public transport. This will also be a factor that, particularly at the CES, the shared part of the case mantra was not that much represented as the others. Electric mobility, electric drivetrains are a political target. So we will have it. We will see it. All new cars, everything that was shown there as a new as innovation um, was electric. I haven't seen any combustion engine car there, everything electric. And whether it really needs to be battery electric like most of the solutions are, I don't know whether that is the real best solutions, the best uh, way of, of uh, driving around energy and a heavy battery. But that will be, yeah. The fact in a few years from now, all electric mobility. To my surprise, um, only a very few chargers were shown. Opposed to a uh, exhibition, to an exhibition I extended in uh, last September, which was called the future of mobility. And 90% of the exhibits were chargers. Wall chargers, um, public chargers, all different kind of chargers. 
they were not that prominent at the CES. If the few companies that were there, there were a few companies showing charges, and if they were there, they were more focusing on digital networks, of integrating the charges into different kinds of networks and additional services based on the opportunity to charge vehicles. The case mantra exists, and I think we need to add one more letter, which is an N, N for new vehicles. And I'm thinking how to put that into an acronym, and, and the only one I find useful is Keynes, uh, at least a word that somehow means something. Um, the N stands for new vehicles, uh, like autonomous parts, delivery parts, e-bikes, uh, motorbikes, uh, scooters, all these vehicles were shown there. Um, I will talk about other vehicles a little later. There are new mobility devices that are required for, for particularly for inner urban mobility in the future. And so, so we may expand the, the case mantra with this, with this N. The interesting fact I, I discovered is that um, in the past, four-wheelers, cars with combustion engines were the more reasonable vehicles, whereas motorbikes were the most the, the more emotional uh, vehicles. That uh, turned around totally with electric mobility. There, the exciting things, the emotional cars were yeah cars. The emotional vehicles were cars. Whereas the electric motorbikes were more like just like the reasonable boring things like scooters, like small motorbikes, like inner city transport. And that has changed. A couple of companies, uh, Da Vinci, for example, Verge, for example, Yadir, for example, they showed highly emotional electric motorbikes. For me, an interesting turnaround i mean the turnaround from combustion to early electric vehicles and now from early electric vehicles back to the old relationship cars are reasonable motorbikes are emotional that seems to happen at the moment second trend i would like to talk about after the case mantra that is um, software instead of horsepower so horsepower is not really important anymore in cars of the future. Vehicles today and in the future will be defined and differentiated and innovated with software. And this sounds pretty yeah, easy, straightforward, but this has enormous implications. And if we took uh, took a look at if we look at the the different levels that we have, so it's the car to car communication, for example, that is driven by software. The car to infrastructure communication, the uh, driver surveillance, driver monitoring, the interior monitoring, the things like media, infotainment, charging management, all those are new functions that get into the car with software. But also for, let's say, more driving-related, more traditional functions of a vehicle, um, you will also, also find uh, software. For example, sustainability versus fun. You have a certain amount of energy in your battery, and you can use this sustainable, or you can use this for fun. 
And where am I in this range? Are, am I, will I be on the more sustainable side or more on the fun side? Can I switch it? Where will I be? And this is something that software will define. Acceleration versus saving energy. How much acceleration will I allow? And I mean, electric cars are accelerating pretty fast compared to, to combustion engine cars. On the other hand, if I don't press on the pedal all the time and the engine reacts right away, I'm going to save a lot of energy, which gives me range, which is sustainable. So where am I in this range? Or is a car more driver-oriented or is it more a social behavior a car is shown? So is it a me, a driving thing? Am I the one this car is acting for? Or is it acting for my environment and the society I'm in? So all these things are um, different levels of, of um, let's say, yeah, interaction that you have and all are based on software. We have other questions we can answer with software in cars. For example, how do I recognize a car? For example, if I want to buy one, do I get social media posts? Do I see it on the internet? Do I get an email? How, how, how is a, an OEM making me aware that there is a new model? It's all software-based. If I want to rent a car, if I want to make a car sharing, a short-term rental, how do I get to know that there is a car? Which car is it? How much battery or fuel is in it? How, how can I get aware that there is a car? And in this context, how do I find it? When I, for example, make a, the decision for a car sharing, And um, I go to a parking place and there are three different cars from the sh same sharing, same model, same sharing company. How do I find out which car is mine? Which is the one I have reserved for myself? The question, how do I open a car? How do I personalize it? And how can I transport, transfer the personalization between different vehicles? Maybe from my own car to a rental car to a car sharing car, between car sharing cars. How can I transfer that? And how do my how does my my digital and analog life integrate into the car? And how does the car integrate into my digital and, and, and analog life? How do they merge? The sharing between the driving task, between human and machine. I mean, all these things are software-based. All these things have enormous potential for innovation, have enormous potential for differentiation. So to say, okay, a car of brand A is different in all these questions and how I do this, how I recognize this compared to cars of, of car company B. And those will be the differentiations, not uh, am I having a V8 engine or an inline six-cylinder engine? Am I having 180 horsepower or 210 horsepower? This will not be important in the future, but with these, uh, uh, the, the, the software being uh, the defining instance in cars, we have different opportunities, different chances, and as I said, enormous amount of Uh, potential innovation in it. The third 
trend um, I want to talk about here is, let's say, not a trend, but more a counter trend or I don't know how to call it a non-trend. My biggest disappointment was the lacking of good ideas, of creative ideas, of futuresque, innovative automotive HMIs. There were a couple of approaches, BMW with a Vision ID, for example, or Peugeot with the Inceptor. Um, these are okay, these are good, these are things forward. But beyond that, yes, there is one trend that HMIs um, will go away from the dashboard. They will move into head-up displays, into glass. Uh, one of my business partners called this glassification. And this is uh, what we see there. And connected with that very often button-free dashboards, meaning a lot of voice interaction, a lot of gesture interaction, maybe very intuitive, maybe very annoying in the future. But I mean, at the end of the day, that was it. Mercedes on their booth, they had a strong focus on user, user experience. They call this human machine merge. First question here is, do I really want to be merged as a human with a machine? And the second question is, what will we see on roads in the future? What will be realized in serious cars? Sometimes I have the feeling in automotive HMI, everything is done. I can search me a new job, can search me a new area of work. But, and there wouldn't be, it wouldn't be me if there wasn't a but in this, right? I will make a, um, another episode on the CES in two weeks. The next episode will also be on the CES. But there I will discuss open questions that I have, open questions that came to my mind while walking through the aisles, while seeing the exhibits, while talking to company representatives, while discussing with friends and colleagues. And this will be then the next episode. Okay, let's move on to the second part. After the trends, vehicles and technologies, cars and technologies. That's the second one. Let's talk about the, the car makers, the OEMs. Stellantis, the new combination of former PSA, Peugeot Citroën and uh, Chrysler, they showed a couple of serious cars like the electric uh, Fiat 500e, um, like uh, the Jeep Wrangler, the electric one. But they also showed a beautiful show car of the electric uh, Dodge Ram and the electric Dodge Charger. All those are indicators of how they move from the age of combustion engines into electric mobility, but keeping their brand-specific designs and, and images. And I am such a boring old person that I'm still loving this uh, pony car styles from the early 70s. And they, they reflect this very nicely in the new Dodge Charger or Challenger. Another company that impressed me was VinFast, a new company from uh, Vietnam. They showed up there with their complete uh, vehicle lineup from uh, small SUVs to mid-size SUVs to big SUVs. And they also 
added a couple of e-bikes, probably to indicate their view, their look on future mobility. Interesting here is if you have a look at the interior, they all these cars have the same interior concept with a large display on the center stack and a head-up display. They do not have a display or cluster display, a display instrument as a, a cluster instrument as a display. I don't know um, how they distribute the information between the head-up display and the center stack display. The the cars have been off, so they were were dark. I had no chance to see this. I'm really interested in how they distributed, how redundant are they in the information, how did they solve many of these these questions that I am having as an automotive HMI person. Once I have a chance to have a look at an active uh, electrified Vinfest car, I will let you know. Little anecdote on this one on my trip back to, to Germany. I had a stop over in Los Angeles and I took a walk on the 3rd Street Promenade in Santa Monica. This is a yeah beautiful street um, parallel to the Pacific Ocean, shops, no cars, it's a pedestrian zone. And at the end is a, is a shopping mall. And in this shopping mall, there is a Tesla shop that had been in a different location there before. That was the first ever Tesla shop I, I visited a few years ago. But only 50 meters, um, 100 feet away was a Vinfast shop. A bit smaller, but it is there. And they have obviously um, reserved the, the uh, attached uh, shop spaces because there were big posters in the windows, upcoming Vinfast store. And if they open all that, they will have a huge store in this prominent location in Santa Monica in, in Los Angeles. For me, this indicates, first of all, how serious they are, and second of all, how much money they have. Another company that surprised me is Centro. That is written with a double N, C-E-N-N-T-R-O. A, an OEM that produces, that makes um, electric trucks from small delivery vans to real full-size um, long-haul trucks, which I have been surprised about. It was a huge booth and had never heard of them before, but it was a huge booth. And they showed, and this is what I found really interesting, two autonomous fully electric platforms. Basically a skateboard with wheels, Two sizes, one um, on the size roughly of a um, delivery van, the other one of a full-size truck. And they are selling these uh, to, for example, harbors around the world where they drive autonomously and electric and make all these cargo transport, the containers and uh, all these things. And they are solved there in this controlled and more or less closed environment. To me, very interesting company, new. Uh, I learned this one, and um, yeah, I, I should keep an eye on them. Another new player is Afila, which is a merge or a combination, a common activity, um, a common effort of Sony and Honda. Sony has been on the past three or four CES shows with different cars, and I had the feeling they are testing the market. They want to find out, hey, do we have the chance as Sony with a car? 
And now they merged, they joined forces, and not merged, but they joined forces with Honda. Uh, Honda is bringing in its automotive capabilities, the way on how to develop cars, how to produce cars, how to distribute cars. And I think this combination makes a lot of sense. Honda with the automotive knowledge, the automotive background, and Sony with its super strong background in electronics, consumer, user-centric, human-centric, thinking, acting, developing. So this this could be very interesting. And the Afila is, um, yeah, a very interesting car from the outside, a big limousine, a big sedan, very smooth. And in the interior, they're having a display from pillar to pillar. The ends displays are rear view mirror displays and the rest is all infotainment, driving orientated, basically like we have seen it in the Honda e as well, but on a larger scale. So for me, um, also a thing to have to keep an eye on. BMW. BMW is uh, always having a beautiful booth. Um, it's always separated from the rest. It is uh, on, the, on the central plaza. It's in a tent. And uh, particularly last year, this booth was like a piece of modern art. And the, the, the one thing that I really like about the BMW booth is that they have a terrace on the backside. And you can grab a coffee there, you can get a snack and you can relax a bit. Um, they have uh, chairs there, seats there, cushions to sit on. So if you are totally overfat from the craziness of this show, it's always a good idea to pass by BMW, yeah, grab a coffee and a snack and a water and calm down a bit. This year, the booth was all around the ID, a concept car. Also a sedan, a nice sedan, um, with basically two things. The one thing is they have a foil around the car, which is an e-ink foil, and it's a color e-ink. Last year they had a black and white e-ink. This, this year they had a color e-ink to yeah, show different uh, shapes and colors on the exterior of the car. For me, the thing is, yes, great technology, I believe in this, but where are the use cases? I mean, my HMI brain starts working right away when I see this and say, hey, what can I do with this? How can I make this vehicle exterior um, communicating or a communicating device with the environment? How can, can we use this technology to make the car talk to the rest of the world, to the environment? To the, yeah, the, the environment is, it is in. And I haven't seen any ideas from BMW here, but um, yeah, call me if you want to have some, some inspiration on this one. Second thing is the emotional interaction. They have this uh, full windscreen head-up display in there, no buttons on the dashboard, a lot of voice interaction. And this car has um, yeah, twinkling eyes and uh, a little erotic voice in this. And so it seems to be very emotional. It's making jokes on you and... Well, first of all, um, what sense does it make? Is it really good? And the second is, do we really want this? I mean, I don't want my car to be my buddy, my best friend, whatever. It shall stay. It shall remain a stupid piece of technology serving me. And if I want to be entertained, if that part is part of, of the service, all right. But at the very end of the day, I don't want to be approached by my car. Peugeot showed the inception 
one of the very few cool HMI concepts I saw on the, on the uh, I saw on the show. The steering wheel has, has a rectangle shape, a couple of round elements on it to do make the interactions, and then they have a round cylinder-shaped display behind the steering wheel as a cluster instrument that rotates. Pretty cool idea. Um, I don't know how much of that will make it to the road, but um, at least a bit in inspiring. The Turkish car company TOG showed uh, or had a booth um, which was focused on mobility, on um, artificial intelligence in cars, on future visions, which somehow disappointed me. They had a car last year in 22, which I found one of the absolute highlights of the show. And this year they did not have a car at all. So there was no vehicle, no concept, nothing. And I talked to a representative and he said, well, uh, we will not bring this car to the US and we want to avoid questions by potential buyers, by potential customers. And this is why we don't have a car here. Okay, one can believe it, one cannot believe it. But he stated that in 24 latest, they will have a car on the road. Let's wait and see. I think it's a super interesting company. They have definitely enough money to bring a car to the road. So, yeah, they have all the top managers from European automotive companies hired. So I believe that they will make it and, and uh, uh, that they will have an interesting car out there in a foreseeable time frame. People Mover. I talked about People Mover already. Uh, ZF, Halen, Ital Design, Hyundai, Zooks. They all showed People Mover on different levels of maturity. The, the one from ZF, which is the one I like most of those, seems to be very mature. They are talking about uh, using that one in Hamburg, downtown in Hamburg, Germany. Let's wait and see until when this will happen. But um, that was one I yeah, said it's okay. Basically, all these People Movers are, look like cardboard boxes on wheels. The ZF has an interior like a modern train, like a modern bus. A lot of displays, a lot of information, very well designed, very nicely done. The others had maybe just a bench to sit on and that's it. So they were driving around empty rooms at the end of the day. Question here is, what can we do? How can we do that? What can we do with the fact that we have the people movers and that there are humans in that? How can we create experience out of that setup? But that is something I'm going to talk about in, in the next episode when I talk a bit about the thoughts that raised while I was on, on the show. Then there were other vehicles. Katar Pilar, for example, showed a huge mining truck, unbelievable size. And already two years ago in the digital one, I saw a presentation of them. And in these mines, I mean, these huge cars, these huge uh, trucks, they are driving more or less uh, autonomously. Yes, they have this closed environment and there's hardly any chaotic traffic and there's only professionals on the ground and they all have a certain task to do there, which makes it much, much easier than everyday traffic. But they have them there. And they also have this remote driver. There's a driver sitting in an office connected to the car with all the cameras and all the information he or she needs and then he or she is driving this uh, Caterpillar truck that is maybe 10 miles away. Same goes for John Deere. 
they showed an electric tractor, an agricultural tractor, which is also almost fully autonomous. And again, these guys in the agricultural industry, they have far simpler environments, they have far less complex traffics than the car industry, the automotive industry, but they are showing what is possible and what is in there, and they are the forerunners in, in this aspect. Yeah, then uh, we had uh, boats for the first time. I had never seen any boats uh, on, on, on the CES. It, uh, I mean, it's, it's obvious, but I never thought about this. Uh, it's good to have them autonomously. And uh, it is good to have them electric. And so all the boats shown there were electric, and most of them are fully autonomous. And yeah, interesting thing that's happening there. Scooters, motorbikes. I talked about these motorbikes already. What was missing this year were drones. Three, four years ago, drones were the number one big thing. They're drones for cameras, drones for transportation, drones for my last mile transportation, all this, and drones for transporting humans as electric air taxis. I have never believed in, in this kind of transportation. I mean, having six, seven people at JFK Airport Uh, flying with an electric drone with a with an air taxi to uh, Manhattan downtown being dropped on top of one of the skyscrapers. Is that really a use case? Is that something we need to develop uh, technology for? And since I haven't seen any of these concepts, um, there was one, but I haven't seen it. Um, but there was one of, of this these concepts on the show, opposed to at least half a dozen or a dozen a few years ago. I think um, there is a lot of cooling down in this part of the market. Let's wait and see. Maybe I'm proven wrong, but at the end of the day, um, yeah, I haven't seen too much of drones. I think they will go back to their, let's say, core business of transporting goods, last mile deliveries, emergency uh, deliveries, emergency help and cameras uh, for, for movies and videos. And I mean, those are the roles that, that drones will play in the future. Next part, let's talk about technologies. And these are in the automotive industry, usually located at the first tier suppliers. The most impressive booth I saw was the one of Forvia, that is former Forestia. Forisha and Hella Bea, a German electronics uh, illumination company, they merged and now they are called Forvm. They showed an impressive interior concept of the future with uh, flexible seats, rotating seats, innovative materials, new HMI concepts and a small bonsai tree planted into, into uh, the demonstrator. So I was heavily impressed by that, um, how they merge all that technology. So Forvia is not offering single technologies, but they're offering full and complete solutions. OEMs can just adapt or have, have them adapted to their needs and then just grab them. So there's a lot of developmental work done with enormous uh, results in that. Similar at uh, Valeo, another French supplier, They had their booth uh, all around sensors, sensor technologies. And again, they are not selling a single, or they, I mean, probably they will sell a single leader or radar sensor or a camera, but what they presented was a full set 
of combinations of uh, sensor fusion systems, uh, sensor fusion solutions, including all the um, electronics, the software, the hardware that you need, the cables, and uh, offering complete solutions for certain um, aspects, sensor-based functions in cars. And uh, driver drowsiness detection uh, was a huge space there. Again, very impressive stuff that they were showing. Another one of my favorites was the company Kurz uh, out of Nuremberg here in, in Germany. Uh, Kurz is basically making surfaces, beautifully designed surfaces, interactive surfaces, and they have impressed me last year, deeply impressed me with what they showed. They did it again this year. And, and this is the most interesting thing with our company representative, I talked about the blockchain as part of the human technology interaction, the, the car and driver interaction. And we were discussing the example that uh, you are having your personalized settings like phone numbers, uh, playlists, uh, seats, temperatures, and so on. You have this stored on a blockchain. And whenever you enter a new car, this is downloaded from the blockchain and then realized in that car. And if you change something, again, it is stored there. And we have this super high level of safety there. Um, it's very directly accessible. And um, yeah, I, I see that this may be a future use case of the blockchain technology. Very exciting stuff. And um, yeah, let's wait and see how this uh, will be in a year or two from now. And the final technology company I'd like to talk about here is Samsung in the automotive area. They had a serious amount of their booth reserved for vehicles, for driving, for mobility. And the most impressive exhibit I saw there was a driver monitoring system, which claims to detect cognitive distraction. I mean, you have different kinds of distractions in cars. One is, for example, the visual distractions. You do not have your eyes on the road. That is easy to detect. It is easy to see. That is, um, yeah, you may have a manual distraction. You may play around with a couple of control elements or with your glove box in the car. Also easy to detect. But the most dangerous uh, kind of driver distraction is the cognitive distraction. You look like you are aware, it looks like you're watching the road, uh, you're having your hands on the steering wheel, but your mind, your brain is far away. You are thinking about something that is far off and you simply do not have your thoughts on the road. And this, as we know from research since 25, 30, 35 years, is the most dangerous kind of distraction. It is because it's severe and you cannot detect it. And if... Really, Samsung has a technology now, has developed a tool, a device that can reliably detect cognitive distraction. That will make a big step forward in road safety. All right, let's talk about tools at the end of this part of this episode. Uh, tools, HMI tools, HMI development tools. It is like, I mean, if you want to drive, uh, if you want to write a text, you usually open Microsoft Word or any other um, tool, any other software that will help you. And then you do something, you write your text, and the software, this tool will help you in turning that into a text or a book or a report or whatever you want to make it. 
And HMI tools are basically doing the same. So there is a lot of software in, in, in human machine interfaces. And there are people out there that really love programming code, that love to write lines of code. Most of the HMI designers, most of the concept people like me, we don't like it. We don't want to do this. And these tools, they claim to close the gap between the idea of a designer, of a UX, UI designer, of a concept person, and the lines of codes. And they have different approaches to that. Usually you have an editor, you have the graphics in there, and then you tell, okay, this element does this, this element does that. It's a very, very rough description of what these tools do. They gain more and more importance because HMI get more complex. You have more and more displays. You have um, not only in-vehicle instances, you have an app, you have a wall charger, you have a PC software different things that all should work and look the same and should all control the same instances, the same kind of data. This makes it pretty complex. In the vehicle alone, you have um, the, the center stack display, you have head-up display, you have a cluster display, you may have rear seat displays. And all this shall be programmed and all, all this shall have a good HMI concept with good user experience and good usability. And these tools are the backbone of this development. I have seen two of them. Uh, one is the uh, Kanzi tool by Rightware. It seems like they are very advanced at what they do. They have um, a yeah very complex tool that allows the coordination of all these different in and output instances. And the second one was Basemark, which was founded by former Kanzi people they very much focus on augmented reality, on head-up displays, on virtual realities. That is definitely a future point. So if they have a strong focus on that, they will have the right focus on the market to bring their tool to the developers. All right, let's move on to the small final part of non-automotive. What was there beyond cars and suppliers and technologies? LG, as always, huge booth with tons of screens. Size matters, it seems like. The bigger, the better. They have a, what they call a wireless TV, which is not really true because you still have a power cable. But all the rest is in, in, in the TV and all the HDMIs and, and Wi-Fi and everything is, is, uh, is wireless in there. The uh, company Displays, they went all the way because they put batteries into the TV screen. So it's fully wireless. I mean, it's really wireless, wireless. LG is having the cable, uh, the, the power plug. Displays replaced that with the battery. Samsung, I mean, they have enough products, smartphone, tablets, uh, laptops, to fill halls and halls at the CES, but they didn't do this. They showed the complex, com complete digital networking of your entire life. Home office, home office, car, even your pets, uh, your dog with a digital uh, instance uh, connected to your home network. All that was shown there and they promoted the meta standard 
which uh, is in consortium. Um, Amazon, Google are part of this as well. That claims that you can connect any matter uh, device with any other matter device. So it is enabling complete networking, uh, even between devices of different, uh, different, different producers, different makers. Big disappointment, uh, the booth of Panasonic. They usually have a highly elaborated booth with tons of different exhibits from other automotive and mobility technologies to their home entertainment and TVs. And this year there was nothing. It was a huge booth with huge posters saying that Panasonic is a sustainable company. Okay. Whatever they were thinking, they must have had their reasons for doing this this way, but um, I was a bit disappointed about what was not happening there. And then artificial intelligence, uh, the term artificial intelligence replaces the term smart. A few years ago, everything was smart, smart here, smart there. And now it is AI-driven, AI-backed up. Big buzzword. Um, I mean, already the smart part was not really fully um, elaborated um, AI. Well, let's wait and see what's coming up. But um, it seems like there is a big trend. All right, that's it for today. I talked about the CES 2023. So about all the trends, the case mantra, software replaces horsepower. My biggest disappointment, uh, the missing automotive HMI innovations. I talked about cars, the different uh, OEMs that were there, the technologies, the suppliers, about the tools, the development tools, and a bit about the non-automotive stuff. Next episode, as I said, five questions that I asked myself while being at Las Vegas, while talking to the people there, while being there. Stay tuned. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de. Tune in next time. Take care and stay healthy.